Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning for WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. So think about this for a second. Remove all your preconceived notions. Remove everything you've been told over the years. Clear your mind. Imagine you are a 19-year-old elite college athlete, a basketball star, a football star, a softball star, doesn't matter. You are really good. I love this dream already. I always wanted to be an elite 19-year-old athlete instead of, you know, a well-decent high school athlete who went on to a successful intramural career. All right, back on track. Dream scenario, elite athlete. That's you. You, the 19-year-old elite athletes, start to appear in marketing materials for your university. You are selling tickets. Your jersey with your name and number on it is top-selling merchandise, generating massive revenue. A video game company puts your face, your body, your brand on the cover of their game and sells millions. You, the product generating everything, the machine that makes it all go, sees nothing. Meanwhile... You post a video of your most recent training session on YouTube. It generates thousands of views, tons of comments. And by a mistake, you had on the option to include ads on the video. So it generates some revenue for you. It's your brand. It's you. But now you are penalized, threatened with losing your eligibility over generating revenue on yourself and for yourself. So everybody else can profit off of you, but you can't. Just to clarify with some real numbers, the NCAA generates over a billion dollars yearly in just media rights deals, the ability to broadcast their events, and the athletes upon whose back this is generated receive a good old-fashioned opportunity to gain an education. Not without value, but not exactly equal either. This scenario doesn't have to be relegated to the elite 1% Zion Williamson's and Trevor Lawrence's who end up on video games. Literally any student athlete should be able to build a brand and monetize it. They have access, stories, fan bases, and if they work to cultivate and grow that reach, they should reap the benefits. Period. Full stop. Point made. Drop the mic. Is there nuance to my dream scenario that we are overlooking? Sure, but stick with the overarching scenario. The big bird's eye view is far from equitable for student athletes. Now, it took 50 or so years, but we may finally be reaching a point that makes more sense for everyone. Without getting too litigious and into the weeds, the NCAA for a long time has forbade athletes from profiting off their name, image, or likeness. Forever they've done this. Now that's NIL, name, image, and likeness. So if you hear that, NIL legislation or NIL rules, that's what they're talking about. Names, image, and likenesses. But California, who knows how to party, signed a law last year saying in our state, student athletes can profit off of their name, image, and likeness. It's called the Fair Pay to Play Act. Basically telling the NCAA, you don't hold all the power, you don't set all the rules kind of like that pushback a little bit myself. So while many college coaches and administrators started clutching their pearls, decrying the coming downfall of American civilization, if athletes are allowed to, you know, make money, 30 other states passed the Fair Pay to Play Act. 
And that really forced the NCAA's hands. The NCAA is now backed into a corner. You know, they're like, all right, well, if all these states are going to say that they can do it, we don't really have another play here. So they sat back and said, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, we love that idea. Oh, no, of course. Yeah, we totally agree. We universally and, and uh, without fail, we agree to allow student athletes to profit off their names, images and likenesses starting in 2021. Now, we can get into the you know details of that decision and, and the PR and the spin and some of the ways they've turned this story to be something they've always been in favor of, but we don't really need to. Stay on topic here. We have a good plan moving forward, which is great. Okay. Put this in perspective again. According to research company Media Kicks, influencer marketing is a 5 to $10 billion enterprise and growing. Now let's put this through the sports lens a little bit and break this down a little further. 538, a wonderful site. Okay. They did what they do best, a massive data and projection project and put actual names and valuations together to come up with potential annual revenue numbers for athletes, student athletes. Here are some of the highlights and this list that 538 put together, which is really interesting, is just based on a combination of Twitter and Instagram followers. So it's based on their following, but only as it relates to Twitter and Instagram. So there are other ways to monetize that aren't even taken into account here. Okay, so let's get into this. Paige Bukers, UConn women's basketball, who I believe is still in high school. This is again, this is a projection. Her brand yearly annual revenue numbers, $670,000. Trevor Lawrence, $454,000. Haley Cruz, who's a University of Oregon softball player, $117,000. These are annual projected revenue numbers based on their brand name image likeness. Okay, but it's not just these high profile players, right? We can get into the, you know, other big names in the world, but let's talk about some of the smaller names too. Spencer Lee, Iowa wrestler, could make $26,000 a year leveraging his following. I did a little research into Spencer Lee because it just kind of piqued my curiosity. Five foot three, 125 pounds of pure muscle. Like literally looked at this dude and thought, I think I outweigh him by 60 pounds and he would absolutely kick the crap out of me. Okay, back on track. He also has a little over 120,000 followers. He should be able to monetize what he's created. Dana Retke, Wisconsin volleyball player, could make $12,000 annually. Again, we're not just talking about the elite of the elite. We're talking every student athlete that builds a brand and puts the effort into it could make something of it. The list goes on and on. This is just a sampling to show it's not just the Zions who make dollar bills. It's all athletes who build a brand and create and distribute interesting content to grow a following. So what is this conversation all leading up to? What are we talking about here? Well, the future, period. The future of sports and student athletes is up in the air. The winds are changing. The shift in power has begun. And there is one company at the forefront of this change. Influencer. I-N-F-L-C-R. Who needs a vowel, right? Can I buy a vowel? Do I need a vowel? Apparently not in branding nowadays. Nonetheless, their brand name is I-N-F-L-C-R. And their pronunciation is Influencer, if you couldn't figure that out. Influencer is currently working with over 500 college sports teams to assist the student athletes with curating content, managing workflows, and following best practices to build their brand and monetize their very existence. Or, as USC Deputy Athletic Director Paul Perrier put it, or it could be Perrier, Perrier, it's spelled Perrier like the water, but it could be Perrier, I don't know, I didn't get a pronunciation guide with this. His testimonial, 
USC student athletes have incredible stories to tell. Our partnership with Influencer will empower all of our student athletes to share their experiences and give our community of fans and recruits a look behind the scenes at their journeys as Trojans. I love this. These are great testimonials. I like that they want to empower all of their student athletes. It's fantastic. Influencer works collectively with the schools and the athletes to create win-win scenarios. The student athletes monetize while the schools build their reputation and brands concurrently. Win-win. We love win-wins. Okay. Now, I don't want to steal all the glory. I'm just trying to whet your appetite for today's guest. So I'll let her explain the rest. And it's some really good stuff. Here is Chief Operating Officer for Influencer, Nita Srikanth. Hi, Nita. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Brian. How are you? I, I'm doing great, and I'm really excited to talk to you because it's always fun when we talk to somebody who's in a cutting-edge part of the sports tech and the way where the world is going rather than where it's always been, and I think that's a part of exciting part of the conversation, so really, really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to start digging in. Yeah, it's cool. You have a background with the Cowboys and with ESPN, so in like iconic brands. But right now, you're working for a company. You're the CEO for Influencer, which is really exciting. So I want to start there. Before we get into all the weeds with names and licenses and student athlete evaluations and authentic storytelling, all those great topics we're going to get into, let's start a little bit broader. Um, how would you define influencer platform to the audience? How does it work? What's the overarching kind of purpose of it? And uh, why is it so important in this changing sports world? Yeah, so what we do at Influencers, we provide a tech platform that's pretty much a content management solution where we're connecting the athletes that uh, the creators are capturing content of with those producers and social media directors. And the goal is by providing them with a tech solution that helps them, you know, send more content that they're capturing out to the athletes, that the overall lift of the program in terms of engagement, reach, you know, the impact that it has on the recruiting cycle is going to increase. Because what we found is when we do, when we research the collegiate landscape and see what's moving the needle the most, it's not the team social accounts. It's not the university program accounts. It's, it's really the athletes. The athletes have the biggest impact on the future of the program more than anything because you don't follow the brand as much as you follow the, the person that you're seeing catching that ball or shooting that game one three. So ultimately, by providing them with a tech platform that uh, makes those producers and creators' jobs easier to send content with, with you know, snap of the fingers out to the entire roster and the coaching staff, um, we feel like we've been empowering what we're what we're pushing for, which is editorial storytelling more on the athlete front. So essentially the athletes are able to share content faster, easier, put their own kind of story behind it, but then it's also somewhat approved by the university too, or is it kind of their, their own, their own content? So it's, the idea is, is that you're going to be empowering them with a full library of content of themselves, of their teammates. Oh, cool. And, and by doing so, you're going to help empower them and them to tell their own story. So we don't believe in sort of sending them content with the copy of what's approved and what's not approved and having that sort of approval process. Ultimately, uh, even though that they're in college, they're adults. Um, you yeah. to treat them as adults and give them that respect. So we want to empower them to tell their story in the way that they want to tell them versus having to go through some approval process. So we're primarily built upon empowering story. In fact, 
I'm wearing a storytellers t-shirt right now, but ultimately our, our company mission is we serve storytellers and the storytellers primarily being the athlete. They're the main yeah. part of what our platform's been built on. And we'll get into this in a little bit, but I think the the idea of the authenticity authenticity coming from them and being in their own voice and developing their own brand is such a powerful part of where we're headed as a sports industry. So that's why this is so exciting. So Influencer was launched in 2017, but really there is a landmark moment last year. Uh, just to give everybody some background, the NCAA's Board of Governors unanimously voted in favor of permitting college athletes to financially profit from the use of their names, images, and likeness. So you'll hear the NIL policy a lot. That's set to go into effect in 2021. So it's been over a decade since college athletes started saying, because I remember when Ed O'Bannon was, you know, his image from UCLA was being used in the NCAA basketball game. And he was like, hey, wait a second, you're using my picture. Why am I not profiting from this? That's not cool. Uh, Finally, athletes are going to be able to capitalize. So Influencer started in 2017. This happened later on in 2019 and will go into effect in 2021. How much did this change the game for you guys? Well, actually, it didn't change the game as much as this was why Jim Cavell, who's our CEO and co-founder, really launched the company on, you know, what what was going to be the NIL world. He knew that it was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when NIL was going to go into effect. Um, and, and so from the beginning, I joined Influencer back in October of 2020. 2019. Wow. It feels like it's almost a decade ago. Oh my gosh. This last year has seemed like a decade, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, even the last like three months has been like, <laughs> just, it's just been absurd. But, yeah. you know, Jim, you know, when he jumped into Influencer and started building out this company, and this is one of the reasons why I was so attracted to it uh, to begin with when we started talking, um, he knew that it was a matter of when, not if, that this was going to be coming. So back in 2017, he, the approach that was taken, and I fully agree with it, is we don't know what NIL is going to be in the long run. But what we do know is that the athletes need to build their own distribution strategies. They need to understand what their audience is, what the impact that they can have on socialism, what, truly what their voice is, and get into the habits of storytelling. And so by attacking the collegiate landscape first and getting them while they're younger these these kids that are coming into college from high school now are the most tech savvy because they've been growing up with phones since you know the the phone that iphone's been around since 2007 right and some of these kids you know were you know 10 years old at the time so you know i i think it's important to realize that the landscape has shifted in general of who this next generation of athletes is. Even for me, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now and I was a co- college athlete, you know, eight years ago. And it's just a completely different ball game. Now these kids have been influenced by social media uh, from the, from the get go of uh, whenever they had a phone in their hands that they're the most tech savvy. So building that and backing up uh, Jim's built this entire company based off of the when not if model. Uh, and so when we when we started, you know, seeing the the legislation started to ping pong around, we started to take the tidbits and started to realize that I don't want to call I don't want to call it a bet or a gamble, but it, it kind of is like that where we knew that this was going to be the long game that we were going to play, and here we are, and we're ready to rock with whatever ends up being the final legislation. 
Yeah, that's cool. Like you had the foundation set, you had the plan in order, you had the strategy ready to roll. And so then when it happens, you're like hitting the ground running, everything's already done. You don't have to ramp up. Uh, so I tend, and this might be extremely naive, so mm-hmm. forgive me, but I tend to think of the value of names, images, and likenesses being really for the elite athletes, the elite programs, like those who can already kind of have an established brand and continue to grow it by their performance on the on the court or on the field. But you guys really make the pitch that the the value extends far beyond the power five. The, the ability of the athletes to generate value extends far beyond just the big programs and just the big sports. So how does that work? How do the lower profile athletes, in a, in a very tactical sense, like how do they actually start to maximize their brand and revenue potential? Well, that's kind of what we're waiting to see where the legislation nets out. Because currently as it's crafted, um, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's, it's a little unclear right now how it, it would work technically. Where, where I believe it will work from my own personal opinion is that there's going to have to be some sort of fair play rules that are in place because you don't want to see the top, you know, quarterback making, driving around in the Ferrari and then the rest of the team just, you know, still skateboarding to class or walking. Um, right. So there's going to have to be some equal equality when it comes to the NIL legislation. And even, uh, you know, we're filming this on uh, July 23rd. Yesterday on Capitol Hill, there was the, the committee hearing, a congressional hearing with the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee around um, NIL with the powers that be on the NCAA side and the set, some key senators that are trying to shape legislation. And that is a big concern right now is how do you protect, you know, the, the, the females uh, on the women's basketball team to be able to at least take advantage of this rule. And I think ultimately where, where I continue to place emphasis is it comes down to your social distribution. If you have an engaged audience, if you have a powerful following um, and you're continuing to lay the foundation for it to, con- to grow and grow and grow, you know, as you bring in some of the organic tools that are available to you via, you know, Twitter pre-roll, um, Instagram, uh, you know, has been talking about some subscriptions and some pre-roll and mid-roll on IGTVs, as well as, you know, YouTube. YouTube is probably going to be the most important uh, platform when it comes to monetizing your social accounts. As long as you have that following and you're going to be programming for it, you will be able to make that organic revenue through that. And that's what we at Influencer are are really founded upon and trying to help, you know, athletes understand their value by empowering their storytelling. See, I think that's the that's the part that really uh, enlightens a lot of us mm-hmm. is that so often you think of, OK, I'm an elite athlete. I can get a sponsorship deal now with Nike, with Adidas, with Pizza Hut, with whoever. And that's going to help me, like, obviously reach and, and brand and whatever. But but really what you're saying is every athlete that develops a following will be able to add in advertising and pre-roll and mid-roll and those advertising spots or whatever it may be to their audience. And it doesn't have to be, Hey, I'm literally sponsored by Nike. It, it can be like, I'm rolling ads in my content. I have a big following. People are going to get that. And I'm going to get the the revenue back from it. That's the way it kind of would operate. Yeah. I mean, look at any account that's right now on YouTube where they're programming their content. If they build an audience enough, they're able to monetize it by attaching pre-roll to it. It's not something yeah. that they're going out and selling or signing a contract to that is available um, mm-hmm. for some of the top people. But uh, you know, the way Twitter and YouTube are selling is they're selling the bulk of programming um, yeah. pretty much thrown into the communal pot. And if an advertiser ends up getting attached to your content because it's moving, you get a portion of that revenue. 
And so yeah, that, and if some kid opening up a Lego box can get like a million views and get all this money from it and, and be like having millions of dollars in their bank account, like why shouldn't some pro, I mean, a college athlete be able to show behind the scenes cool video of practice and get and get something out of it? Exactly. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing that right now from the NBA bubble where there's there's guys that are out there that are shooting content and they're, you know, you know, Matisse Thabel, he's right now started a YouTube series. I might have butchered his name completely, but he started a YouTube series where he's pretty much documenting his life inside the NBA bubble right now. And he's putting it out there on YouTube and he's able to monetize that. Like that's mm-hmm. access that he only has now. He's completely different than the, the rest of the NBA. Um, but he's also kind of what the next generation of athletes that I was mentioning is going to be where the guy is literally shooting content on his own camera. He's yeah. bringing that content in and editing it. And posting it himself. He doesn't have a team that's producing it. He's a one-man shop. And he's producing it and putting it out there. And he's able to monetize off of it. Now, the NBA bubble is a completely different example because he doesn't really have much else to do beyond you know, <laughs> yeah. trying to keep himself entertained. Um, and it's probably not sustainable outside of the bubble. Hopefully it will be for him because he's getting enough of an audience. But it's not it's – not, it's not fair to expect a collegiate athlete to be able to do the same uh, because, you know, they got class, study hall, you know, training sessions. It's a full-time job being a collegiate athlete. Um, so we're just trying to figure out ways uh, that we can help empower them along the way. Okay. So I love that. And you also referenced earlier that you were a division one athlete. You played basketball at Cal state Northridge. Mm-hmm. So Walk me through this. Pretend that you were back in your playing days and that you had access to an app like this now. How would that function for you? How would you actually like use it? What would your kind of experience be like with the product? So when I was leaving call or when I was in college, it was around the time that Twitter uh, was emerging as a platform. In 2009, I used to tweet by texting 40404. Um, and also get you know messages through that. The application wasn't really built out that way, and there was yeah. no way to attach media at the time. Um, but I always loved whenever I would get pictures from practice or any of the you know photographers were shooting our games. I would always just like say like get get my good side or, or make some kind of like <laughs> joke, right? Um, but none of it was really tactically programmed back then. And so if I were in if I were younger and I was in this generation, I would be kind of like Matisse and I would be programming, you know, fuck out of my, excuse my language, I would be programming fuck out of my, my, my accounts because ultimately you have a small window of opportunity and especially on the female front, the chances of you going and playing pro are much smaller than on the male side. And even the male side, what is it, 1% of collegiate athletes end up going pro um, and 99% go end up going pro in anything but sports. Well, for that 99%, I want to make sure that I have a, at least a built it up and engaged audience enough so that if I am going to go work, in my case, I went to go work for the Cowboys and I had an audience, I'll at least be able to come say, like, this is what my journey is beyond the collegiate experience. And then whenever I get back on campus and I'm going to the alumni game or, you know, even coming out to a, a local youth camp to speak, uh, at least that audience will still be able to see that I'm progressing in my career beyond the court of play. 
show up at some youth camp and dunk on some kids. Yeah, I get it. Uh, so, okay, so I'm one of those hounds for, like, content, too, that for me, it's the it's the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's the stuff that I can't see elsewhere. It's the stuff that, like, none of us generally in the in the general public have access to. It's like we can all see highlights. We can all see that kind of stuff. But those, those kind of cut-ups where you're seeing more behind the scenes and that kind of special relationship between teammates or whatever it may be, um, that's what resonates with me. Do you guys find that to be true as well? Is that those are the things that resonate most with the audience out there? Or is there something different? Is there something else that tells the, the story better? We were speaking with the West Virginia, I was, you know, I was speaking with the West Virginia uh, football coaching staff this morning. And one of the points of emphasis that I was trying to tell them in their storytelling strategy is you have to, if you can make the connection to the fans and the recruits, that you're giving them a peek behind the curtain of how the football program is made. Like that is something that they are not going to get anywhere else. And it's going to be programmed in their head that to get some of that behind the scenes, look, they got to come to you. And going back to the, to the bubble content I was mentioning, you know that you're going to get to see some scenes of what's happening inside that bubble that you're not going to be able to see anywhere else from him. Right. And so, yeah, that shift has changed to where access is the most premium form of content that you can find out there. And if you are able to deliver upon that effectively and efficiently and also more regularly, you've got yourself some secret sauce. And the shift in dynamic of, you know, back when I was in college where I used to get in trouble and have to do 6 a.m. workouts because I was tweeting stuff that I probably shouldn't have been at the time. (laughs) But now... I'm I'm here on this side, pretty much telling these coaches and these athletes go go post about it. Like it's yeah. not no longer about what happens with these in, the, in these walls stays within these walls. It's let's make sure that whatever we are posting outside of these walls is at least following these guidelines now. Yeah. And that's been like the shift in thinking. And coaches are now realizing that in order to recruit the best athletes, that they have to give them at least the roadmap to show here's how you can grow your brand and here are the things that we're going to be able to offer you so you can give people a sneak peek into your life on this campus. Um, And so I think to to answer your your question, yeah, I think premium access will continue to be the most, you know, premium form of currency when it comes to social media. Yeah. I can't get enough of it. Even still to this day, I love the behind the scenes stuff. And when I was back in the, in the broadcast media working for various sports networks, uh, so often the, the teams would say to us, you can't run that. You can't do that. You can't show that. And it's so great now. I mean, it's, I'm a little bit jealous because now you can do all those things and I wasn't always able to, but it's so great now to be able to see that stuff. You try to tell people back then, like, this humanizes your your players. This shows them in a different light. This is what's going to build their brand. And they just were not having it. There were like PR departments that were like, no, stay out of here. You can't show that. You can't talk about that. You can't do that. It's it's great to see this changing because this is the language of the current generation, right? Yeah, it is. It is the language of the current generation. But it, it, it it's kind of like when I look back on my career with the Cowboys and, and even in my internships that I did previously when I was in college, I, I was one of the first pe- interns that basically built out a media relations team when I, when I was at CBS my senior year where we were programming their social accounts. And the top SVP of communications at the time just didn't give a shit about what we were doing. Yeah. But now the entire thinking has shifted and they're all very preoccupied about it. And the reason I'm making that point is because, yes, everyone wants to put the guardrails and they want to put uh, 
the governor on top of what you're posting out there, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the ones that have like loosened up the leash a little bit, the ones that have like had some tough conversations to understand what are the do's yep. and don'ts and what are the guardrails in which you should be operating. Those are the most effective programs that you'll see in pro and collegiate sports. For sure. Uh, so I, you're, you're wearing the Storytellers t-shirt right now. I love it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm jealous of it. I'm hoping that you're going to send me one. I've read in multiple places where you have emphasized, and I'm going to quote you directly, the need for athletes to tell their story authentically and organically in non-monetized posts featuring editorial storytelling content. Now, of this resonates with me deeply. I love this stuff. It's where my passions lie too. Why is this your passion? How did you get to this point where being a storyteller and this side of the industry is what just resonates with you so much? Well, first of all, you better believe there's going to be a shirt headed your way. Yes, I will rock it. Um, And to answer your question, I think there um, on social media, there's enough people that are fake. They're bots. There are people that want to, you know, be Twitter tough guys. They want to hide behind their avatars. And ultimately, the ones that end up breaking through are the ones that are telling their story authentically, organically, and in editorial form. And so ultimately, I've always believed that authenticity is key to humanizing a person. When you look at some of the best that are out there, like Pat McAfee, like he'll tweet things unfiltered all the time, post things unfiltered all the time, but you love that about him, right? LeBron, he's starting to open up a lot now in, in giving people a peek behind the curtain around Taco Tuesday or speaking up about, you know, some of the social uh, justice issues that are out there that are real. And right now, more than ever, you're seeing those athletes that were before so hesitant to want to jump into that lane of content. And an influencer, what we've started doing now is we actually have a team on our on our side called Athlete Engagement. And we're primarily just creating content and sending it out to the pro athletes to help them, tell, guide them to tell that social justice story that they've been wanting to, to share. Whether it's, here's how you can register to vote or justice for Breonna Taylor um, you know, the, the, what unfortunately happened with the George uh, Floyd you know, massacre that, that happened was um, it, it was obviously incredibly excruciatingly painful to watch that. But there's one small, small thing that can be taken from that, that what it's effectively done for our next generation it's now empowered people to stop hiding behind this veil of, you know, silence. It's now forced these athletes to speak up. Now you're starting to see, you know, the, the last name on the back of their Jersey is now interchangeable for anything that they want in the NBA. Players are going to be able to wear decals on the back of their helmets in the NFL. And so with this movement, with this final acceptance of the fact that the athletes, uh, are, have a voice and they're not going to just shut up and dribble anymore. I think it's important that they are authentic, they are organic, and they are telling the story of themselves in a way that they want to build the future of their audience for. And you're going to see a lot of growing pains with that. There's going to come a time when some athletes, you know, say, share things that are a little too, um, that are going to get them in trouble. Um, they might lose some brands from it, but ultimate, and they, they might lose some followers from it too, because it's, it's such a divisive platform. But ultimately, I think this is a shift 
that has been much needed. It's necessary to meet the moment that we're currently in. Um, and we at Influencer are here to empower them in any way we can. What I think is kind of exciting in a way, and I, maybe exciting isn't the right word to use in this context, but I remember just three years ago, I believe, I wrote an article about after Eric Garner was killed in New York City and Kyrie Irving came out with an I Can't Breathe t-shirt that he was wearing in warm-ups. And I wrote an article saying, I'm so happy that athletes are being treated less like a commodity and more like a bill, like a having a stance, being able to use their platform, being able to influence change and be able to say things. And I got blasted. I got so many emails. I got so many tweets. I got so many things from people saying, just shut up and stick to sports. And yet now, only a couple of years later, we're already making progress in that regard where we're hearing less and not, not, it's not completely gone, but we're hearing less of the shut up and dribble. You know, we're hearing less of that where, where it's becoming a little bit more accepted that athletes are people, they have something to share, something to say, and they have a value, valuable perspective out there and, and need allies and need support in this way. Is that, inspiring in a way as a storyteller and having this platform for them to know that there's progress being made in this regard? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amount of times over my career when I've worked with an influencer or a talent or on-air personality that they've just been like, yeah, that's probably a little bit too far. And now you're seeing a completely different shift. It's incredibly motivating and it's, it's about damn time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Getting back off of the the heavy stuff for a second, the the your chief operating officer. That's a big title. That's a big role. There's a lot of things that go into that. You're a changing company in a developing market in the tech space with sports. Um, explain the main focuses of your role. How does it kind of break down? And because uh, looking at what you are responsible for, it looks like you have your hands in almost everything. Yeah, it's um. You know, <laughs> that sounded tired. That sounded like, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, listen, I, I think it's been a challenge that's been just one of the best experiences of my life so far. Um, you know, I'm learning so much on the job. There's there's not a day that goes by where there isn't some sort of challenge that comes up that I have to take a step back and think, okay, what's the best approach to do to, you know, attack this with? And so over, you know, the past three months, specifically under COVID, my role, my role has kind of evolved because, We've, you know, placed a little bit less of emphasis on on the sales and marketing front and a little bit more on building towards the future. So my current focus has been on our athlete engagement side, like we've just been discussing, yeah. as well as what we're offering on, on our, da- our new NIL suite, which our new NIL suite, which sneak peek, I know this is, it's July 23rd, but we're going to be announcing something tomorrow morning. So oh, all right. it's, it's going to be out there by the time this gets published, but we're, we're launching what we're calling data services as part of the first offering in our NIL suite where what we're doing is we're working directly with coaching staffs, athletes, and the creative teams at specific universities. So the first pilot program partners that we're working with are Kentucky men's basketball, UNC men's basketball, women's basketball, football, Marquette men's basketball, West Virginia football. This morning I was actually on, on the phone with the entire coaching staff at West Virginia football. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to dig a little bit deeper into their program and understand what is the brand value that they're offering. What are, you know, what are they posting on their own social accounts? Not only the coaches, but the athletes as well. What are some tweaks and strategy that they can make? Because uh, as anyone that's been in this industry knows, you spend so much time just trying to like block and tackle that you don't have time to really dig in and understand the, the film of what's happening. 
And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the film, in this case, the film being the social accounts, the data, and go a little bit further and provide them that coaching and that analysis so that they can understand where they should be blocking and where they should be tackling to build towards the future of where NIL legislation is going to net out. So really it's about helping them understand where they currently sit in the landscape, helping them understand some of the key things that they should be doing to program their social. Uh, We talk about that access and, you know, a lot of it is really just about taking advantage of the access that you have. And then finally, it's just putting them on a path to success. So whenever the lights turn on and NIL is actually here, um, they're in a position of power to take advantage of any legislation that gives them uh, money in their pockets. It, it makes so much sense, too, because if I was a coaching staff or an athletic director or anything of that nature, I'd be thinking to myself, OK, all of a sudden, all my student athletes are going to have a bigger, broader voice. They're going to be wanting this because there's revenue att- attached to it. Um, how do we set them up for success? What do we do to make this work? for them so that we kind of not keep it under control, but like give them best practices, set them up to succeed and things of that nature. Um, if, if you're a, if you're a coach or an AD, you've got to be kind of thinking that way. So is that, is that kind of what you're saying is that you're essentially helping them get a kind of jump start in a, in a best practices kind of sense for, yeah. for their future? But more importantly, yes, yes. To answer your question, yes, we are yeah. helping them get a jump start. But more importantly, what you're seeing is this, next class of recruits that are coming in, they're asking that question. Mm-hmm. How are you going to help me in an NL, in NIL world? Right. And so mm-hmm. for them, they're having to figure out COVID. They're having to figure out how they're going to keep their players safe. They're going to having to figure out how they're going to, you know, get practices going. They don't have time to think about the future right now. And that's right. what we're saying again. We're providing them that support because that's what we do. We, we are, we are specialists. And given my background of understanding how these platforms work and how to monetize these platforms, um, we want to put together some curriculum that's going to help them, you know, take that off their plate. And one of the things that we heard from a coach is that I don't like social media because it takes too much time. If I'm not paying attention to what's happening, I can look really bad. Um, but also it's just, it's just toxic and there's, it's just too much of a time commitment for me. Perfect coach. You can come to us and we're going to be here to help you take that time off your plate. And we're going to make sure that you're in a position to succeed without really even bugging you. Yeah, let them focus on what they do best and take that off their plate and make it make it work, make it a workable scenario. Because they're uh, right. Ultimately, the, the dirty secret is they're right. If you're not paying attention yeah. to what's happening on social, you're not there to capitalize on that specific moment because timing is everything. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to be successful on the platforms. No, you're right. Uh, speaking of platforms, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile before we started and in the about section where people often, you know, put their elevator pitch or they explain their value or they have some sort of a, you know, a pitch for themselves. You had a very simple statement. I'm a leader, not a follower. And that's it. And that stands out on the page. Like, I love that because you're used to seeing like a paragraph and you get kind of used to it. So you almost skim past it. Like when I was looking at your page, my immediate thought was, Oh wait, that looks different. You know? So like my eyes were kind of drawn to it and I saw that and I thought that's pretty cool. Um, why is that statement an important part of your persona? I, I turn away when people try to tell me that this is how someone else has done it. When, <laughs> when people try to say, this is how it's always been done. Um, I just want to take, you know, a, a can of gas and some flames to anyone that, that I shouldn't say anyone, but anything, any institution that wants to say that they're too good to adapt to, to what's currently happening, I, I despise that. 
and that's one of the things that attracted me to influencer where is because you know the future direction of where we're headed especially with this data services program is pretty much you know for us to build and i want to make sure that we're not offering some sort of cookie cutter service that we're actually giving you the white glove treatment that we're actually focusing in on on the things that matter most and so i want to be a leader not a follower i don't want to follow people in front of me that have said this is how it's always been done i want to blaze the path of how it should be done I love that. That's inspiring. I would also question and wonder when you are a trailblazer in this way, other people are going to try to follow you. Right. Um, I would also say when you're in a tech space, you're going to have other people try to mimic what you're doing or try to enhance upon it or do whatever. As you think about influencer, where it goes from here, how the world develops, what are those kind of fears or things that keep you up at night as far as, I mean, technology changes so fast and everything of that nature. What are, what do you look at as like the, not weaknesses, but like potential um, threats in the future or anything of that nature that kind of keeps you thinking how to evolve? Well, I mean, that's a great question. There's a lot of things that keep me up at night about the future of not only influencer, but in general of where we're headed as a society. Yeah, um, I, I think the big thing And it's kind of like the fear that overrides all of this is, you know, what happens when legislation turns out to be something we don't necessarily want it to be, or it's not going to be helpful for the athletes, or it's going to empower the institutions more than it will be the athletes themselves. I think, while that's not necessarily a big fear, it's just an overall concern because, you know, legacy-based institutions, they tend to have their minds in a specific track, and where this ship is headed, um, I think it could be a rip the band-aid situation or it could be a slow and painful situation. And while we are prepared for it to be a slow you know, move towards what it's going to be headed, um, that, that is one of the concerns of what, what it's going to you know, put some fear into me because, listen, you know, we want a free market we want to be able to have the athletes go out and, you know, produce content and take advantage of their opportunities. And ultimately that's going to help be the most beneficial for us as a company. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back in your journey a little bit. After mm-hmm. Cal State Northridge, you were hired by the Dallas Cowboys on their social media team. That's pretty big to graduate college and start with like one of the most iconic sports brands in the, in the world. Uh, how did you get such a great opportunity starting fresh out of college? So, the NFL was in a lockout at the time. Okay. The NFL, NFLPA were having tensions around the collective bargaining agreement. And there was a hiring freeze that was going on at the time. And actually, my first role with the Cowboys had to do with their fan marketing program. I was pretty much overseeing their CRM database, which was something completely new to me. Mm-hmm. And I was putting together email campaigns, SMS campaigns, you know, retail campaigns, direct mailing campaigns. And fulfilling upon some of the campaigns as well with the, with our the fan the main fan club that they had, and so I was you know I, I didn't feel I don't feel as if like I got the opportunity as much as as I was in the best you know the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming into that, you know, I was a ball kid for the Dallas Mavericks in junior high through high school for six years up until I left to go play college. And then while I was in college, I was. Um, doing internships with the Lakers, a CBS television. I even came back to Dallas one summer and spent the entire summer with the Mavericks front office. Um, so I felt as if I put myself in a position to succeed. And it really came down to right place at right time, having the right network, 
Um, and, you know, just making sure that people knew that I took advantage of my time uh, in college, in high school, in junior high to get me to that specific moment. Yeah. I look back and I think about the first like five years of my career and I was at a pretty major sports network. And for me, that established a lot of what I believed about the industry. Like it's kind of set my foundation. It kind of I learned a lot about best practices and I learned a lot about certain techniques and styles and whatever else. It was almost like my master's class. How did your Cowboys experience kind of help form your voice and style? And does it really relate to where you are now or is it totally changed? That Cowboys star is one of the most iconic logos out there, regardless of sports or entertainment or gaming. When you see that star, even if you don't really know what sports is, it gets in your head like, is that not Cowboys? Yeah. Working right out of college with a world-class brand, um, you know, you learn a lot about what it takes to maintain that brand and what it really takes in order to create quality. And so that kind of that experience right out of college when I was, you know, I had all these ideas and I was just so gung ho about just accomplishing. And I had, uh, you know, I was so passionate back then about wanting to push forward and do these things and not really understanding how corporations or uh, the politics of office really works. It helped me kind of hone in and figure out how do you create an idea? How do you take that to concept to execution? And do it in a way that is world class. And so I think, you know, the Cowboys experience really helped me understand what it takes to do that. And also at a, at a level that keeps and maintains and enhances upon that star. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because in a lot of ways, the bigger brands, the Cowboys, the ESPNs of the world, they do have kind of their style, their way of doing things. And you talked about how important it was for you to be able to not follow the routine and not follow, you know, exactly what somebody else is doing or doing it the way that everybody always has. And I would think that would almost be a challenge. How was it when you left? So you went from the Cowboys to ESPN and you go from working for a team to a broader media organization, how different was that? Was that a, a, another change in kind of focus and, and style? It was and it wasn't. Uh, when you're working for the team, um, you know, as, as, as stressed out as you are, um, ultimately the, the, the main season of opportunity is really during the football playing season, right? With ESPN, you got to crank it up by like a thousand because sports are always happening every single night. There are meetings happening during the day. There are people traveling and all over the entire globe of where we were programming. But also you had to man the feeds and make sure content was going out because there was always audiences to be engaged with 24 hours of the day, seven days a week, the entire year. And so, you know, what I learned at the Cowboys was you had to have content at a specific quality level and this is how you want to do it at espn you had to also maintain that same level of quality but the amount of quantity just increased like i said thousands yeah and so you know when you're dealing with multiple shows personalities and athletes that, that were coming through it's really just about organization and knowing what is the content calendar it really took it really honed me in on like the organizational pieces what could i be doing with my time you know before lunch to help get me ready for that live window of programming later on? What can I be building 
on a Thursday during Thursday night football that was going to be helping with the Monday night football game. And so a lot of coordination, a lot of organization, but also just a lot of churning of content. Um, and, and to speak to the, the difference when it comes to like working for a team versus working for a media entity, it's really just a difference of news. Uh, when you're on, working on the team side and content, you're not necessarily focused as much on the news as you are the brand. And, and at ESPN, we were primarily focused on, you know, making sure that our news judgment was accurate. So we had to make sure we were abiding by um, the news desk. But also we were not, we were not, you know, overly trashing any of the teams that we were, you know, covering. Because if we did go a little a step too far, it was going to put the reporters uh, that are out there in the field trying to cover the teams in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And at a time when social media, you know, people can perceive things to be um, out of context very, very easily. In fact, one experience that we had was uh, that was around the time that um, Brown Gate, Spygate, a, a lot of those those gates were going on. A lot of gates, <laughs> yeah. Spygate, um, Deflate Gate, um, yeah. Deflate Gate was one too. You know, there's just a lot of sensitive uh, emotions when it comes to a single tweet and how it can be perceived. Um, yeah. And we had a lot of, I have a lot of those um, war stories of people just taking things completely out of context than what the actuality was. So. Uh, a lot of learning lessons on the ESPN side, and, and the main difference was that everything's just ratchet up big time here. I think that's the part that people forget a lot or don't realize about jobs and social media is they think it's just in the moment, being in the right spot, seeing something interesting, sharing it, taking a picture of it, whatever. But there's a lot of planning and strategy and looking ahead that that goes into it, building out your content calendar and having a vision for what's going to happen rather than just acting spontaneously in the moment. There's also another layer of it. You know, we talk about the creative side of social media. There's also the behind the scenes data and anal- analysis respect. I mean, there's budgets, there's tracking campaigns, there's evaluating success and failures. Um, if somebody wanted to get into the social media world or wanted to get into more of the tech space and where we're headed, is that important? Is that important to really understand not just the storytelling side, but also that tracking data and understanding the return on, you know, certain stories or, or what you can gather from that from a from a statistical standpoint? Yeah. So the next generation of content creators are in a tough position because now there are specialists. Now there's like the bar has been raised to a level that's going to be really hard to, you know, meet. Um, and so not only do you need to know how to edit and after effects and use Photoshop to a level that's just better than your peers. Um, you also need to understand where am I spending my time and what am I creating? That's going to move the needle the most. So understanding sort of like your own content news judgment of, what content piece am I creating that's going to serve our main audience? What content piece am I making that's going to be the best ROI of myself when I'm on the company uh, clock, right? Um, yeah. So you need to be able to evaluate. Like, I don't want to, I don't want someone spending, you know, 30 hours on a highlight video that's, you know, eight minutes long that is only going to be seen for the first 15 seconds of it. Um, it's just going to be a complete flop, right? Yep. But if I were going to have someone spend the day making me four short form videos and then I was going to be attacking the topics of like, you know, Dallas Cowboys, New England Patriots, um, you know, Denver Broncos and Los Angeles Rams. Like that is going to be more impactful use of their time more than anything. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be 
a hard, uh, it's going to be hard for the next generation of content creators to really get their game up to that next, to the level that is going to be expected of them. But those that do, I think we're clearly seeing that they're some of the best we've ever seen. And this next generation of content creators, you know, I say this all the time. If, if I were in their shoes right now and I was, you know, trying to do my role over again, there's no chance I would get the same job that I have. It's cool to have that perspective because I look at it the same way. I look at the generations before that like, are coming in now, and everybody always tries to do this, you know, paint millennials in a in a certain label, and then the next generation a certain label, and there's these laziness things thrown around. And I'm like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, I don't see it. I I think there are really, really incredibly talented young people out there that are pushing into new boundaries and not accepting the way things used to be. And you, you fit into that category, which is really exciting. Uh, I, I will, because I'm older and I can say that. <laughs> anyway, the uh, we'll finish up with this. I've taken so much of your time already and I really appreciate everything you've given. Um, you've worked for these iconic brands, ESPN, Dallas Cowboys. Now you're in the emerging tech space with Influencer. And I think it's it's great. It's so fascinating and so interesting. But you've been around some of the best in the business. Is there a certain piece of advice that's kind of lingered with you that you achieved, that you were, you know, gleaned upon in any of your steps or where somebody kind of gave you something where it's kind of stuck with you through time that you would, would share to other young people out there? Yeah, one of the things that I've always believed in is if you go the extra mile to help someone, um, whether it's, you know, hopping on a 30-minute call to help them understand, like, how to post something that might be just, like, elementary for you, but for them it's, like, means the world. When you go that extra step and you take that relationship to the next level and you're able to build that contact to be someone that would refer you to for, for something in, in the future, I think building that network, building that relationship, it's really the most meaningful thing that you can do. And it really ties back into, as I said, uh, networking comes in many forms, but if you're able to network in a way that's meaningful, that's going to help you out in the long run, even if in the short term you're not getting anything out of it, um, that that has been the most important thing for me, um, and also uh, it's advice that I tell to anyone I speak with is networking is key, but the way you go about doing it is more important. It doesn't mean you go on LinkedIn and you send out a bunch of messages to people saying, "Hey, I want to do a, a twenty-minute call with you to understand what you do." No, it's when you come across people, um, whether it's in person via Zoom uh, or you work with them, you know, you want to make sure that you're building that relationship in a way that's going to help you in the long run. Well, you promised before we got recording that you were going to spit fire during this podcast. And I say mission accomplished. I think you did awesome. And this was so great to have you on. I think for me, hearing more about the influencer platform is really exciting because I love the direction we're going with content and to hear your passion for it and, and the way you bring it to the to the organization and how you're going to drive them into even greater things, I think is really inspiring. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Brian. This was fun. That was awesome. I love Nita's vibe, perspective, energy. Like literally, I know I've shared this on social media, but before we started recording the interview, she said to me, I said, yeah, you feeling ready for ready to dive into this stuff? And she goes, just so you know, I've been known to spit fire during podcasts. And right there, I was like, oh, I love her. She's awesome. And then afterwards, I started looking for images of her just so I could share, you know, that we had done some interviews on, on, uh, on social media. So I could say, Hey, just finished up interviewing Nita. You know, it's going to be on in a couple of weeks, that kind of thing, you know, social media talk. And I found this picture of her with Ken Griffey Jr. And then Trey Wingo is photobombing them in the middle. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I've never been photobombed by 
Draywingo. Usually it's the other way around. Like I'm photobombing famous people. <laughs> like it's kind of cool that she was the one being photobombed and she was hanging out with Ken Griffey Jr. So she's got some swag to her. It was so much fun doing that interview and getting the perspective of somebody that was a student athlete too. I mean, she has the right vision for all this. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out Influencer. They're a really cool brand. Maybe I can convince them to sponsor this podcast. Oh, that's not a bad idea, actually. I'm going to have to talk to her about that. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, share, all that good stuff so we can continue growing our audience and continue getting incredible guests like Nita. Thanks for listening, everybody. Put on a mask and be safe out there. Thanks. Thanks.